Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 16th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week I have a guest co-host from the mountains of Colorado, and she has a pretty special connection to a previous guest on this podcast, too. My guest co-host this week is Lauren Molay. Hello, Lauren. How's it going? Hi, Liam. I'm good. I'm really, really excited to be here. <laughs> Amazing. I'm so excited that you're here. So Lauren, if you remember from episode one, I know you know this guest like pretty well, right? Like you've heard of her, I think. A a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Lauren actually grew up with Claire Molay. She's her older sister. Claire was on my very first episode, The Mystery Near the Belvedere. And Lauren, I know you listened to that episode. And for anyone listening who hasn't listened to episode one, go do that right now. Pause this episode. Go back and listen because it is an absolutely insane story. But Lauren, I just absolutely have to ask you because I am obsessed with this case. I need to know what you think actually happened to Ray Rivera. Oh my gosh. When I listened to that, when we got to the end, I was like, what? Like, I I could not wrap my head around the things that mm-hmm. transpired in that episode. And I do... Um, think that he got murdered. I do not think that he jumped or anything like that, but I still cannot figure out exactly how he got murdered. Well, and that is what has been (laughs) my, like, it literally keeps me up at night to this day. We recorded that episode, like, three months ago, and I still think about Ray Rivera to this day because, like you said, like, my biggest question, like, is not why, it's not who, it's freaking how. Like, how did this happen? Like, I, it it drives me absolutely insane, so I'm glad you're right there with me with that. Um, So, this week, um, like, wine time i think we have to do it over the I, wine yeah part. i'm so, pretty sure we are drinking dreaming trees chardonnay it's from california the vineyard says the wine captures the flavors of california's coastal regions with big fruit toasty oak and vibrant citrus flavor so what do you say like we break this bad boy open yes for sure okay let's go for it and also so i just have to say because um you know this is one of the reasons why um i want to be a mole so badly like i know that your whole family like loves wine just as much as we do that's why we get along so well and so i'm so glad that you're here um to be yes. able to enjoy this but i also if i remember correctly i believe you're a white uh excuse me a red gal right like you're you go for reds you know i really i would say my taste change a okay. lot um so Yes, most of the time it is for red, but like in the summer when it's hot, I do enjoy a good white. Yeah, that's fair. I usually, that's usually where I go for, for whites too, is just when I'm like sitting outside on the porch because red's like too much for like summer, right? Like that's way too much. Yeah. Yeah. So I am right there with you for sure. Um, And so what, what is your, like, what is your go-to um, Brad, is it, I think you, are you like definitely, you strike me as a, as a Cabernet girl for sure, right? Or maybe, maybe Pinot Noir. So, um, your second one is right. Pinot Noir is okay. my favorite, I but that. I really like, there is not a red really, or a white that I'm going to turn my nose up. Okay. So. Fair. Very fair. Yeah. I'm my, um, my favorite type of wine, um, starts with W and ends in E. Um, so <laughs> that's usually where I go, um, personally. 
totally with you on yeah. that. And I do love California, so I'm mm. excited to taste California, as okay. this wine says. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> California's coastal regions. Like I've never yes. been to California, so I wouldn't know what California would taste like in a wine. Um, so it sounds like you're going to be the person who's going to tell me all about this. So I think you need to go to California, too. Oh, I so. want to, too. Yes. Um, so cheers to you, cheers. Lauren. Thanks for coming on. Ooh, buttery. Yes. Okay, vibrant citrus citrus flavors for mm-hmm. sure. I like lemony, very very lemony, very citrusy. And lots of like you definitely get that like Chardonnay when I think of Chardonnay I think of like very buttery, you know, like smooth flavors. That's definitely that for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would say most California Chardonnays I've had are really oaky and toasty Mm. and this one i'm not getting so much which i like personally Mm. yeah i don't really get the i don't get the oak pretty much at all Mm -hmm. all right well what do you say that we move on to our story of the week because this is another one of those stories that have uh, that has kept me up at night and i cannot stop thinking about what happened to this young girl. I'm ready. All right. Well, this week we are going to tell you a pretty complicated story, one that does not have a complete ending even to this day. And this is actually a pretty exciting story for me to share with you all because it's the first story that was suggested to me by a listener, one of you. They said they were trying to get more attention to this case. And I can see why. Because at every turn, every time I thought, I have this thing figured out, it turns out I didn't. So today, Lauren, I'm going to tell you the story of Tammy Zawicki, the girl in the blanket. Tammy Zawicki was this firecracker of a young woman. Her family describes her as tough as they come. She's the third of four kids, and she was the only girl, so she probably had no other choice but to stick up for herself pretty much her whole life. She was born on March 13th, 1971, in Pleasant Hill, Pennsylvania, but lived most of her life in Greenville, South Carolina, where she graduated high school and played soccer, too. But shortly after she graduated, her family moved back north to Marlton, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia, and that's when she took off to the Midwest for college. She went to Grinnell College in Grinnell, Iowa, and in August of 1992, she was just about to start her senior year at the school where she double majored in art history and Spanish. On August 22nd, she was just finishing up a summer working at the local blockbuster, like Total Throwback, and was getting ready to go back to school. Classes weren't necessarily starting, but she wanted to go back early to take pictures for the school's yearbook of fall athletes getting ready for the new season. Her younger brother, Darren, actually also went to school more west, too. He was starting his sophomore year at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. So she was going to drive him back to school, too, since it was basically, like, on the way. Whoa, those are a lot of states to keep track of. Yeah, and keeping track of all of these different locations and mapping them out, I actually feel is pretty critical here. So try and keep them all in line, maybe even math them out for yourself if you have to, like I did. On August 22nd, Tammy and Darren packed up the family's white 1985 Pontiac T-1000, and they hit the road. Now, along the way, the siblings encountered some issues. The car kept stalling and would shut off completely when they stopped, like super 
super frustrating. But Darren would top the engine off with some oil and some water, and that would solve the problem at least temporarily and get them back on the road until it happened again. Okay, so sounds like typical family road trip problems. Yeah, and like certainly back in like 1990, I mean, I, I would imagine, you know, cars these days are like basically computers. So like, you know, cars back then, I'm sure mechanical problems yeah. was like 101, right? So eventually they got to Evanston and Tammy actually spent the night with a friend who she knew in the city. Right before she left though, she went to go say goodbye to her little brother who checked the car one last time before sending her on her way. He told her that if it happened again, she should get to a safe spot, like a rest area or something and waited out until night came so that the car could run cooler than in the August heat. But he didn't really have any reason to worry about Tammy. I mean, like I said, she was tough, smart, and could take care of herself. So he said, I love you, and sent her off on her own to make the four and a half hour drive to Grinnell. But later that night, Tammy's parents were expecting a call from her just to check in and tell them that she made it there safe and sound. But that call never came. Her parents, Hank and Joanne, didn't worry too much. They just figured maybe she went out with some friends, forgot to call mom and dad. I mean, she's 21. She's young. They can just address that problem later on, right? But then by morning, they still hadn't heard from their daughter. They were really starting to worry about her. So they call friends, the school, the work so that someone can check on her so they can be reassured that this was just one big misunderstanding and that Tammy was okay. I mean, not checking in was not like her at all. By the middle of the afternoon, there were notes all over the board outside of Tammy's dorm room. Call your mom. Where have you been, they read. But those notes were going unanswered, and it wasn't until later that evening that they realized that what may have happened to Tammy was far worse than they ever could have imagined. That evening, the Zawickis were told that Tammy's car had been towed, and not from campus, but several hours away in LaSalle County, Illinois. Okay, that's interesting since, you know, that's not where she was supposed to be. Yeah. And so she she never she never made it to campus. Like which side of Illinois was she on? Like was she on her way there? Or? Yeah. So we're about to get there in okay. a second. Um but the yeah, where they found her car was like the exact route that you, that they would expect her to take from Evanston to Grinnell. So this is like normal for the most part. Mm -hmm. So what had happened was an Illinois state trooper had found the car abandoned on the side of Interstate 80 around mile marker 83, right in the middle of the state. And like we just said, right along the route that you would expect Tammy to take from Evanston to Grinnell. Around five o'clock the day before, on August 23rd, the trooper left a ticket on the car for it being unattended. But by the next evening, when it was still considered abandoned, it was towed. Okay, so she was gone for the basically the entire night from her car. Right. Yeah, so it's likely that Tammy had run into car problems again. Remember, she and her brother had been having them like the entire trip. So that's the most likely answer that Tammy pulled over to try and fix it again. But that begs the obvious question, where's Tammy? 
That night, Joanne and Hank call the Illinois State Police and tell them that their daughter had not arrived to school in Iowa the night before, as she should have. And now it turns out that her car was towed, and it seems as though the situation had taken a very severe turn. They try to file a missing persons report, and police seem to take it, but it's pretty obvious to Hank and Joanne that they were not investigating very thoroughly, at least not right away anyways. The family says they didn't open a legit investigation into Tammy's disappearance for at least three days because they had assumed that Tammy had run away with her boyfriend. So where did this boyfriend live and why would she run away with him? Well, that's kind of the thing, Lauren. You know, this is really weird news to the family because they had absolutely no indication that Tamley actually had a boyfriend, like, at all. Okay, um, that's interesting. It just seems really random. Well, yeah, it's just, it's a weird thing to, like, immediately go there. And it just, you know, like, it'd be one thing if they, if, like, they were, if the police were talking to the family and she was like, yeah, she has, a, she has this boyfriend, then, okay, well, let's, you know, go there. But, like, they didn't even, like, they just assumed that, oh, she must have just run off with the boyfriend. Like, you know, what, beautiful blonde girl, like, young, you know, must be, you know, stupid and just, like, going off and, you know, with some guy, like, pff, yeah, like, that's kind of lame. Like, how about we actually, like, explore, like, all the options before we, like, immediately go to, like, arguably the, like, most sexist one. Yeah, and and being a girl myself, I would say that from experience, um, girls generally share things like that with mm. at least their mom um, or if, yeah. you know, you have a different family situation with your dad, but generally girls share things like that. Yeah. Well, and like everything that I've read about this case, it sense, sounded like, you know, they had a very close relationship, like the whole family. So it's mm-hmm. like, like, I would imagine that the family would know if she had this mysterious boyfriend that police like literally pulled out of thin air. Yeah. So after those three days, they eventually do start looking for Tammy, bringing out officers and canines to search the ground while aircrafts search from the sky. All the while, Tammy's mother and father travel to Chicago and get on every and any TV and radio station that will have them trying to get the word out about their sweet, beautiful 21-year-old daughter. And police do end up getting some tips from the public, actually, like a lot of them. 60 people called in, and people who were driving on the highway that night end up writing in saying they saw a young girl matching Tammy's description around the same time working on a white car similar to the one that Tammy was driving. So this like totally seems to add up, right? So they said they noticed that the hood was popped and it looked like the young woman was trying to work on the engine. So, like, like I said, like, Seems like all the pieces are connecting here. Tammy was having car problems, and so was this woman. So seems like there's a pretty good chance that this could be Tammy, right? That that totally makes sense, except for the fact that obviously she's missing. Um, and I might be right. jumping ahead here, but that kind of um, says to me that perhaps somebody stopped to quote-unquote help her. Um, they see a woman on the side of the road having trouble maybe they want to help her. I don't know if I'm I'm getting at something there, but... Yeah, well, yeah, you definitely are getting at something, and <laughs> guess what? Like, we're gonna get there, okay, so hold perfect. that thought. <laughs> Alright, so this sighting is never actually officially confirmed, and it gets even more complicated later on, so we'll get to that a little bit later. The tips place Tammy at the side of the highway sometime after 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but by 4 o'clock, those tips only include sightings of Tammy's car. And then, by 5 o'clock, we know that a trooper officially tickets the car for being abandoned. These tips come with some additional information, too. A lot of the tipsters said, like you guessed, Lauren, they noticed a man with Tammy while her car was broken down on the side of the highway. And parked just a few yards away in front of Tammy's car was a semi-truck. Okay, 
So kind of sounds stereotypical there, like mm. um, a semi-truck driver stops to help stranded girl and something bad happened there on. I mean, that on that honestly sounds like a like it could be a movie, like it's so almost mm. stereotypical textbook sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, and I'm so sure that is a movie probably somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It, but I know I've seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, if this was that easy, right, Lauren, we probably wouldn't be talking about this right now. Exactly. But it's not that easy. It's never that easy. So, yeah, this was pretty much all state police needed to hear, though. They issue a description for this truck and the man who was driving it. They are calling him a person of interest. So, not necessarily a suspect, just someone that who they want to talk to. Based off of the witnesses' descriptions, they describe him as a white male between the ages of 35 and 40, six feet tall, with dark, bushy hair. Police describe the truck as a tractor trailer with a faded, rusty orange stripe around its center. Police use this description pretty much right off the bat as the basis of their investigation. Now, like I said before, this gets pretty complicated, but remember that description as we go on because we'll revisit it. And that's the launching point, though, that police use as they begin their search for Tammy. Days go by of them using these tips to chase down leads and searching everywhere in central Illinois for Tammy. But they were never going to find her there because they were completely unaware that they were looking in the completely wrong place. On September 1st, more than a week after Tammy went missing, a trucker pulls over near an exit ramp to try and cover up some tools that were exposed in the truck as he noticed a storm coming in. When he gets out of the car, he notices an extreme smell, and he looks down and sees a red blanket and knows right away that that is the source of the smell because he can tell clear as day that there is a human body rolled up inside of it. Oh, oh my God. Okay, so how close was this from where Tammy went missing? Oh, Lauren, like so far. This trucker finds this body along Interstate 44 in Lawrence County, Missouri, right between Springfield and Joplin. It's seven hours from where Tammy's car was found. Now, the young woman is pretty decomposed, not extremely, but enough that she's decently unrecognizable to compare to photos of missing people in the area. And originally, the description the trucker and police officers give is that they thought she was a redhead, and Tammy, remember, is a blonde woman. But it turns out that the young woman was actually blonde, but there was dirt and clay mixed into her hair to make it appear as though it was red. So two days later, officers are able to use dental records to make a gut-wrenching determination that, indeed, the young woman in the blanket tossed off the side of the highway is Tammy Zawicki. And it's odd, right? Because this is, like I said, seven hours from where Tammy's car was found, several states away. And it's really hard to explain all of the locations we're talking about here geographically. So I actually mapped it out for you, Lauren, and I want you to take a look at it. So this is where Tammy's car was found, all the way in the top right corner in the middle of Illinois. And this is where she was going, and right all the way to the top left in Grinnell College, Iowa. And then all the way to the bottom of your screen there, Lauren, that is where she, her body was found in Lawrence County, Missouri. Obviously, there's a straight straight shot from where she was going to the college. And she mm-hmm. went basically in a completely wrong direction, in mm-hmm. a completely um, 
new way. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's, you know, worth noting, I mean, she was closer to where she was going in Iowa, right, than she, at least, again, I don't know for sure, but it certainly appears that way, um, than where she, her body was eventually found all the way in Missouri. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I guess it's a point, I guess point being is, like, it just, I think that just goes to show that, like, like, it wasn't, like, a hitchhiking situation. Like, this was, you know, very much so someone took her completely out of the way. Because if she was, you know, you know, got stranded on the side of the road and, like, maybe needed to needed a ride somewhere, like, she wouldn't have gone there. Like, she would have, like, gone straight to, you know, to Grinnell. You know, like, just kept on going. So, yeah. And I, I feel like the obvious thought here is that somebody took her and the first mm. thing my mind goes to okay trucker guy that they saw on the side of the road right. perhaps took her that way well and let's let's keep in mind too like where was she found where was she you know where was her car found on the side of the interstate where was her body found on the side of the interstate like who uses interstates a lot truckers yeah so like this seems to be like a pretty significant tip mm-hmm. you know like this seems to be like like what you know, it's it's easy to automatically be like, okay, yeah, that like makes logical sense why this is probably your guy. Yeah, like right away, you'd just be like, that's it. That yeah. this is case closed. That's it. Yeah. Well, if you can only identify him, right? Right. I mean, right. It, it's like I mean that that's obviously the 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 big problem here is that we don't really know who Mystery Dude right. is. Do we know how she died? Yeah. So this is always the complicated part, right? But this is even more complicated in Tammy's case. So if you need more wine, I see you're taking a sip. Like now's your chance to go ahead and do that for sure. Let's get some more. <laughs> so Tammy was found inside of this blanket, which was secured with duct tape, and it appeared as though she was sexually assaulted. And there were some possible DNA samples picked up from this blanket, but it's not totally clear what those samples were. And like I said, she was pretty decomposed, but it didn't seem as though she had been out there on the side of the road for as long as she had been missing. They think it's possible that she had been out there for like a day or two, but certainly not for nine days based on her decomposition. But because of that decomposition, though, they couldn't immediately determine definitively a cause of death. But it's a pretty safe bet to assume that this was it. Tammy had been stabbed eight times with a short knife, almost like a switchblade. She was stabbed once to her right arm and then seven more times to her chest. And those stab wounds were in the shape of a circle directly around her heart. Okay, so I'm sure you saw by my facial expression, but nobody mm-hmm. else could see that. Oh my god. Yeah. Like I I don't even know what to make of that. That is way more brutal than I even expected. Yeah. I just I mean like talk about like premeditated, talk about like, you know, vindictive, like that is like, you know, somebody who you know, and also too like directly around her heart, like somebody had to have had like intimate knowledge of like you know where that would have been you know what i mean like that's not just like you know i like if you told me like you draw even draw like a perfect uh, you know circle around somebody's heart i would like <laughs> yeah maybe get it right but like maybe not you know even not even on my over my own you know what i mean yeah it almost sounds a little ritualistic to me yeah or yeah something from once again a movie or a book right right 
Investigators form a multi-agency task force to investigate Tammy's death. They said they believe whoever killed Tammy likely worked localized trucking routes, like we said, along the Midwest Corridor, giving him easy and unsuspecting access to the nation's network of highways and interstates. And with that, volunteers help the family send out hundreds of flyers to trucking groups across the country, hoping somebody knows something. Back in New Jersey, Tammy's mother, father, and three brothers are obviously just absolutely crushed by this news, but their focus quickly turns to something a little bit more obvious, finding out who could have possibly done this to their only daughter. But the answer to that question quickly becomes cloudy by a pretty complicated investigation, and in more ways than one, too. But let's start with the obvious issue here, and that is the sheer number of entities that are involved in this investigation. Keep in mind, Tammy is from Pennsylvania, right? But she grew up in South Carolina, and now her family lives in New Jersey, while she goes to school in Iowa. So those are four completely different communities that have a vested interest in what happened to Tammy. So think about what that involves, right? There are four different sets of people that police need to talk to in order to get an idea of who Tammy was, her past, her friends, and possible enemies, but also the media attention draws in from all four of those areas too, right? So that elevates Tammy's story that much also. But on top of that, the number of law enforcement agencies deciding who's in charge must be more than complicated, right? I mean, you have a body found in one county in Missouri, so that's obviously a crime scene, but then you have a last known location hundreds of miles away in Illinois. So that's a completely different one, and presumably where the crime was committed, right? I mean, the Illinois State Police take control of this investigation, and the FBI also gets involved too. But you can tell almost right away, once the Lawrence County Sheriff's Office hears that their Jane Doe is a missing person from a different state, and that they likely won't be in charge here. Things change dramatically, and it starts pretty much right away. Lauren, do you remember that trucker who had originally found Tammy on September 1st? Yes. Well, when the sheriff's office initially responds to the scene, that trucker is asked to do them a favor. They ask this trucker to help carry Tammy's body to the truck where it would be examined, as that man tells the podcast Paper Ghosts. Now, this is an obvious issue, like Law Enforcement 101. This guy is a witness, sure, and to be clear, I have no reason to believe that he had anything to do with Tammy's death, even in hindsight all these years later, but the point being, you have to rule everyone out, right? Like, I'm sure Tammy's own parents had to be ruled out at some point, and they're in a completely different state at this point. So, the the fact that this guy, who hypothetically speaking, could have something to do with the murder, is asked to carry the body, guaranteeing that his DNA, fingerprints, the works, would be all over Tammy and the blanket. I mean, yeah, like, that seems really weird to me. And I mean, my extent of knowing how the law works has, is basically from television, but I feel like they also would have left her body in that spot. For a little bit of time to do some, you know, pictures yeah. and stuff. And But if mm -hmm. they asked the witness to carry it, that means they asked him right then and there to do that. Well, yeah. So that's a great point because, that you, because all that takes a significant amount of time, right? And I'm assuming, maybe not, I don't know, but I'm assuming that they questioned him to a certain extent to be like, what the heck happened here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they gave his, you know, um, you know, it, you know, um, version of events and all that stuff. And so you're telling me that that in all this time that you 
had to call the medical examiner's office, right? I mean, that's just how how that works. You call them in, you know, they take pictures, take all these samples, you know, preserve the scene, you know, try to, you know, figure, you know, capture this moment in exactly how they found it as close to the, you know, as to the, you know, crime as possible. And this guy's still just hanging out and then is later asked like nobody else was around to ca- to help carry this body who like, you know, at, at the very least was a police officer and like hopefully wasn't involved. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, if it were me per se and I had found this, of course I would call um, the police to work on it. But I'd be like, that is my I'm running away now. I'm sorry. Like, I don't want anything to do with this besides that I'm trying to do a good deed calling the cops here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, too, like this. like So, yes, like this guy, like. Again, like, just to be clear, like, all these years later, like, this guy has been rolled out over and over and over Mm -hmm. and over over again. Like, you know, like, that's just the facts of the situation. But, like, if, like, if, if I find a body and, like, somebody's like, hey, can you help me carry this? I'd be like, fuck no, absolutely not. Like, there's no way I'm touching a dead body. So the fact that he was okay with it is, like, the biggest red flag on the face of the planet. You know? And it's just, it just doesn't make, that part just does not make any sense to me at all. I'm like... I, like you should have seen my face when I when I when I first heard this. I was like, "Wait, hold on." <laughs> they asked him to do what? Yeah, and that, I mean that was the first thing I thought when you said it too. I was like, "Ew!" First of all, like why? Like mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but like I would not want to have anything to do with that. And so, no. And if he did carry, so if he did carry the body, that almost sounds like for some reason or another he had no choice since they have ruled him out as being involved at all it's almost like he had no choice in it in the matter well but like they so to be clear when i say they ruled him out like they they didn't rule him out right then and there like they ruled him out like probably after dna samples like after all this stuff but so like as far as they should have been concerned you know based on policy procedure again police work 101 like they should have assumed that this guy was a possible suspect because that's just how these things work right right Uh. Yeah, this yeah. it's just very that does not in there is no nothing I can think of that would make that make sense. No. Zero not not a single thing in the world could have justified that no. at all. Um but you know again like I said I'll just reiterate this again I have no reason to believe that this guy had anything to do with this at all. But the point being and the reason I bring this up is that creates problems from like the very beginning with this investigation and there are more to come later so make sure you have your glass very close by you're going to need it Lauren. So like I mentioned dozens of tips about Tammy's disappearance come swarming the police department in the state office. So Normally, that would be a pretty good thing, right? Like, the more witnesses, the narrower the investigation. But that is clearly not the case here. So, Lauren, how are you liking your dreaming tree? I am really loving it. I think um, out of Chardonnays, which are probably something I drink the least, this is probably mm. one of my favorite ones that I've tried. Yeah, I am like I I'm right there with you. I'm not a huge Chardonnay person in general. Like usually, if I'm gonna drink a um a white, it's gonna be a Riesling or you know a Sauv Blanc or something like that. Um, just I just don't like it like jumping down my throat. Like that's just not my thing. And I feel like Chardonnays always have these really big flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, the butteriness of this. I could probably do without. I could definitely probably do without. But the flavors are very, very nice. I feel like if it was a little bit, um, like a little bit more, like a little bit bolder, mm-hmm. I feel like I would be really into this one. And that sounds like a 
typical Sauvignon Blanc drinker to me. I love yeah. Sauvignon Blanc. My mom loves Sauvignon Blanc. And I would say you just really want that That's crisp. Yeah, she's amazing. Mm. <laughs> you really want that crisp hit of flavor yeah. and just it's just like almost like you're drinking a juice or something but but with that with that being said you know i think for for you know what we're doing and you know and i always try to you know i don't now since i started this podcast i try not to you know discount any kind any wines anymore because um because i want to be able to try everything that was one of the reasons why i wanted to do it this way was because i wanted to really expand my palate to learn a little bit more about wine um so i'm focusing in on it um i'm also having a really good time talking with you also yeah usually that helps a little bit i'm having a great time and i really do think like i definitely would not write this wine off my list like i would definitely buy it again yeah i would be really interested to see because i don't think i don't think i've ever had um their like any other types of wine i feel like i probably had a red from them at some point um so i'd be really interested to see you know if they make a sauve blanc and how that one tastes yeah. because i think just i feel like they would make a really good sauve blanc yeah based on what i'm drinking mm-hmm. i agree with that yeah so lauren what do you say that we get right back into tammy's story because Man, we're about to get into it. Yeah, I'm I'm so ready to hear the rest of this. So the Illinois State Police ends up getting 60 different tips from drivers who claim to see Tammy and or her car on the side of the interstate that day. But the tips don't always add up perfectly. These drivers identified 26 different vehicles with Tammy the day that she went missing. Now, not just different you know, recollections of models or colors or what have you, these drivers name completely different cars, motorcycles, vans, and semi-trucks. But for one reason or another, one tip seems to stand out above the rest. And it's not the tip of the tractor trailer that I told you about earlier. Instead, it's a tip that the driver saw a blue or green pickup truck with a woman matching Tammy's description who was working on a white car, just like Tammy's. Now, normally, this tip would probably be one that would fall at the bottom of the stack, right? They clearly have reason to believe that the driver of this tractor trailer is involved somehow, but this tip in particular is one that perks the interest of at least one investigator on the case. That's because for a little while after Tammy's body was found, this witness says she just could not get Tammy out of her head. I mean, this beautiful young woman just gets murdered on the side of a major highway. It just makes no sense. And plus, she thinks she saw her probably moments before she had died. What if she had stopped to help her get her car going instead of that guy? What if she didn't just keep driving? This witness works at a medical facility, too, and one day this couple walks in because the wife needed to get some routine blood work done. Nothing crazy, right? But she takes a good, hard look at her husband, and the hair on the back of her neck stands all the way up. That's the guy, she says. That's the guy. That's the guy that she saw on the side of the highway helping that young woman on the side of the highway that day. She's absolutely sure of it. Almost immediately, this woman calls in her second tip to police to tell them that she knows who did this. His name is Lonnie Beerbrot, and police take this in just like any other lead, but keep in mind, this is the only woman who's using the description of the blue or green pickup truck, so, you know, maybe worth it, but probably not, odds are, right? 
But one of the investigators on the case is a man named Marty McCarthy. And at this point, as far as he's concerned, there's no tip crazy enough on this case for him not to look into. So he does. He runs a background check on Lonnie. He finds that this Lonnie actually has a record. He served three concurrent 20-year sentences for two armed robberies in the 80s and ended up being released on parole in 1990. In their investigation, police discover that Lonnie did indeed drive a greenish-blue pickup truck, and on top of that, Lonnie actually owns property in Missouri, 14 miles from where Tammy's body was found. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this just is like the only thing that we've heard so far that completely matches up like from a witness and then what they're finding. And so it's weird to me that there's different accounts of like Mm -hmm. what kind of cars were seen and stuff. But the fact that this woman said that she saw a greenish blue pickup truck and then they found out that this man who she thinks was the man has a greenish blue pickup truck is suspicious. Yeah. Well, and yeah, so, and it's because it's so weird because it's like such a weird tip, right? It's like, you know, this woman driving on the highway sees the guy and he's like, for whatever reason, it stands out and he just happens to walk into her medical facility a couple days later. Like, that seems weird. But the fact that all these things like make sense as to like how he could have done it, like that is you know that is so strange and so out there to me because again like i said like totally off tip right i mean totally bizarre totally left field you know just feels icky but everything makes sense everything makes perfect sense everything lines up exactly you know and the fact that he owns property like literally exactly where she was found basically ooh, yeah icky the only thing i can think that would make it match up when it doesn't is that this woman already had something against him and right figured she could frame him for this but it's weird because how would she know like exactly how to describe the truck and Mm -hmm. then know that he was coming in and like that's very calculated yeah then that and it's funny you said that because that was my initial thought too i was like okay like what does she have against this guy like what connection Mm -hmm. do they have outside of just like being random like medical people but i never read anything about that Mm -hmm. um you know and it seems like if that's true like that's a huge like even bigger red flag right and it's like that certainly needs to be something that we should be disclosing but and I wanted to be able to disclose it, but it wasn't there. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. This calls for more wine. That's all I have to say. Yes. More, more, more wine. Yeah. If you're pouring yeah. more, I'm pouring more. Uh, hey, let's do it, right? Okay. So, this is pretty much all Marty needs to hear to have some questions for Lonnie. So, they bring him in for questioning, and he says that he was actually visiting family in central Illinois, where he grew up when Tammy went missing. So, like, talk about alarm bells, like, right off the bat, right? But Lonnie is pretty forthcoming, and he actually provides some blood and hair samples to match DNA. And they clear him just on that alone. Okay, so we have this witness testimony that really matches up but they clear him on that i mean dna is pretty strong yeah well and we're gonna get to why i have some like serious Mm -hmm. questions about this dna like a little bit later on um so hold that thought okay so marty is less than convinced though i mean i don't even think we know for sure where the dna samples they picked up from the crime scene came from and this looks like marty's best lead yet 
So he issues surveillance on Lonnie. He goes through this guy's phone records, even goes through the guy's trash to find anything suspicious that could tie him to Tammy's tragic murder. But just as this investigation seems to be finally heating up, the state police disband the task force investigating Tammy's murder. Just five months after it was formed, they said it was due to a lack of progress. Okay, so definitely from my point of view, there is no lack of progress here. It seems like they were making a lot of progress. So it's weird that they would cut that off. Yeah, and this guy, I mean, to uh, just, I guess to clarify, like this guy seemed to be making a lot of progress, but like at least from like the investigation as a whole, like they have no okay. suspects at this point. They've cleared everybody that, you know, could have possibly been involved. So yeah, totally right there with you. And I can see, I guess I kind of see from both perspectives of like Marty's like, no, like this is our guy. Like, I know this is our guy. I'm trying to prove it. And you're going to break me up right now? Like, oh my gosh. And But like from the other perspective of like, no, like we feel pretty confident that like that he doesn't have anything to do with it. But also like this is such a high profile case at this point mm-hmm. too, right? So it's like, it seems like a pretty weird move like five months after this to disband this task force. It's like, why not? Like what's, I don't know. I don't know how much money it, it takes to keep these, this kind of thing going, but like, I'm assuming you're still investigating the case. Like why not just keep it open? Yeah. I mean, even I guess if they decide they're going to put less effort into it or mm-hmm. whatever, but like sure. other murders in Illinois, I'm sure. Yeah. But like not just kind of almost disregard it. Yeah. I mean that this person has been killed and it's, you know, you can't just be like, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah. So just three months after this move, state police begin to feel the pressure of the investigation. As the first anniversary of Tammy's death approach, they still feel no closer to finding out who killed her. So in May of 1993, police decide to throw out another idea. Police decide that they are going to release a list of items that were reported missing from Tammy's car and were never recovered. And Lauren, I'd like for you to read it for us. Amber frame glasses with gold-colored bows. Canon 35mm camera. Gray Asics running shoes. Large brown purse. Tammy's South Carolina driver's license. And a woman's musical watch. Okay, um, I don't really know what a musical watch is. Can you tell me more about this watch? Oh, I absolutely can tell you more about this watch. So it has a green umbrella on the face and also has a green band. Tammy's mother told the podcast Paper Ghosts that the simple answer to how she got this watch is that she decided she wanted one, and so she got it. But uniquely, the watch plays a song to the tune of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Okay. Um so probably I can I I totally understand you young girl wanting something and buying it. That mm-hmm. totally fits with what I do in my life. Um but I would like to know why she 
chose that song in particular. Yeah, I don't. That's a good question. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, um, like why this watch. So the list of lost items never really generates substantial leads, and they have never ever been recovered. Not a single one of those items. Interestingly, too, police also say that something else is missing. It's this soccer patch, a red one that was attached to Tammy's shorts. While when Tammy was found that morning in September, the patch was ripped off. Investigators have since said that they believe whoever killed Tammy likely took the patch as some sort of prize. That's a really weird thing to take. Like, yeah. I mean, if you were going to murder someone, the first thing you would think going back to TV and movies here, you know, you take their jewelry, you take their yeah. whatever cash they have. Why would you care about the their soccer patch on their shorts. Yeah, you know, and that's really interesting to me because it, uh, you know, it, it almost seems like so odd. Yeah. You know what I mean? That it's like, it's like a strange thing that like you, like it's, it's super specific. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's like, no, like none of your other victims, if you have other victims, are going to have this thing. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, you know, like you said, like, maybe a necklace, like, maybe they have similar necklaces, like, maybe they have similar, you know, shirts, but, like, Mm -hmm. a soccer patch, like, that is unique enough that, like, you know that you are going to, you know, and I just think of, like, Mindhunter here, you know what I mean? Where, like, you know, you or Criminal Minds or whatever, like, every time you pick up that soccer patch, you're going to think of Tammy. Again, assuming that whoever did this has other victims. They probably do. Right. They specifically wanted to take that patch for some reason, mm-hmm. which is weird to me just because to me that would have no value. So I don't know what yeah. what the value was in that to them. Yeah. Right. Unless just to re- simply remember that time you killed the, the pretty blonde woman from Illinois. That's so beautiful. That's great. Yeah. What a, what a great story. <laughs> so heartwarming. So over the years, police have identified a number of potential suspects in Tammy's murder. They are mostly, however, people who have been convicted of rape and or murder and who have ties to trucking groups. They are a whole hodgepodge of people who are convicted of crimes in Iowa to Georgia, but in all police took in 650 leads and 2,500 truck sightings. They named 12 men in total as potential suspects and have ruled out only seven, leaving five still out there, right? Short on their luck, the investigators looking into this case decide to revisit some old tips. And that is when Lonnie Beerbrot's name comes up again. They actually call up that woman who identified him as the man who she saw on the side of the highway that day. So she retells her story, right? This is part of the process. She talks about the truck, the car, the blood work, and the man's wife, who, oh, by the way, casually mentioned to this woman that her husband got her a sweet and thoughtful gift, a musical watch that played to the tune raindrops keep falling on my head oh my god i okay no (laughs) oh my okay Mm. i i i just i can't i'm at a loss for words like that's yeah right like this seems to be like the mother load of tips right i mean 
Maybe not, though. I mean, what are the odds, right? This woman is driving 70-plus miles per hour on the highway, sees probably her umpteenth disabled car on the side of the highway, catches enough of a glimpse of both the people who are fixing the car, and that guy happens to come into her job just a few days later. And police said that there were actually multiple reports of disabled white cars around the area, including one just a few miles from where Tammy's car was found. Plus, Keep in mind, she is the only person saying this, and the only time that she mentions this watch is when police try and go back to her, which is like 10 years after they released a list of names that were missing from Tammy's car, including that specific watch. Okay, um, so much of what this woman is saying is adding up, but also, like I said, if it could in some way be calculated. Like, I mean, obviously this woman's very smart. Maybe not. <laughs> right. No, but yeah. I, and I just, um, the only thing I could think is, did she stop for like a second and then leave? Cause that's how I could only see that she was able to figure out who this guy was. No, I think she was just driving past and like, she was just one of the people who called in, you know, when they were asking for information about, you know, anyone who may have seen, you know, a woman on the side of the highway around this area. And that's when she was like, yeah, I saw something. And I don't, again, I don't know why she would single this guy out out and like that's mm-hmm. what keeps throwing me off is like because it seems like you know i don't know how much how much to put into this tip it seems like you know a you know on the surface level kind of a bogus tip right i mean this woman you know again you know only gets involved 10 years after they talk about this about this watch and like suddenly she's like oh yeah like i remember this specific watch like Mm, that seems a little bit fishy to me. It seems like, you know, everything she's saying seems to be information that we already know, right? I mean, like when they, when they, you know, call, when, um, you know, when they call in and say, um, you know, or when she initially calls in, you know, we already knew that the car was on the side of the highway, you know, mm-hmm. when, when she calls in later and says, Hey, like this guy came into my, in, into my job, like, you know, at that point, like, you know, we already knew that she may have been in that, which she was found in Missouri, you know what I mean? And then when mm-hmm. they revisit her, you know, we already knew knew that that this watch was missing so i but at the same time you know like it just seems like the fact that he owned property in missouri had family in illinois like had this you know very intimate connection that seems to me like something you can't fake unless like you know that this is what's happening like you said they have something against this guy but that even to me seems a little far-fetched. So I feel like both ends of the spectrums, I feel like I just fall off a cliff. I'm like, no, this is too much. Yeah, honestly, it's starting to seem like maybe this lady does have something against this man for whatever mm-hmm. reason and is trying to frame him from this and saw an opportunity. Right. Um, but it also seems like maybe some of it could be true. Is Have they been able to interview his wife like when mm-hmm. when she said the watch yeah so so they all deny all of this right she says mm-hmm. no there was never a watch that okay you know what we're talking about and we're gonna get to kind of what happens to him just in a second okay um but um but yeah so so everyone around everyone and like nobody admits to to this watch even existing except okay. for her um and so and again keep in mind like she's the only person talking about this green blue truck which again seems even more specific right so it's like mm-hmm. how much stake do you even put into the fact into whether or not this guy was driving a truck um so you know she's the only person talking about the watch she's the only person you know pointing to to this guy lonnie you know once again being a woman we're pretty smart we're pretty crafty i can see a woman doing this if she's mad at somebody (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean that's. I mean that seems to be like the if she if she just made it up, that seems to be the only logical explanation as to why, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise, what's the point? You yeah, know? there's no point in framing some a stranger, yeah, some random dude, right? Yeah. Who just like happened to walk into her medical office and been like, oh, this guy kind of looks like this dude. Like, let me just go ruin his life and just like paint him as a murderer for the rest of his life, mm-hmm. like Jesus. So yeah, still, you know. He was ruled out one way or another. Police say this is not their guy. Plus, even if some massive piece of evidence is revealed that points to Lonnie without any doubt, even after all these years, he won't see any justice. That's because Lonnie died in jail in 2002, serving completely unrelated charges. But Marty is still convinced, even today that he found his guy back in 1993. If you ask him, he maintains that Lonnie Bierbrot was responsible for Tammy's death. He wants to see a special grand jury and panel to hear the evidence and a special prosecutor appointed only to give the Zawicki family the closure that they need. But investigators said Lonnie was ruled out after Marty was taken off of the case when the task force was disbanded. But police, the ones actually in charge of this investigation, are still keeping Tammy's case open. On the 25th anniversary of her death, investigators announced that they are still exploring new leads and are re-examining 200 pieces of evidence and retesting some items with modern DNA tests. As for the Zawicki family, they said they are determined not to let Tammy's death tear them apart after all these years. Joanne has pulled back from television interviews to focus on the family that she still has. Tammy's father, Hank, died on May 26, 2015, as the only person in the family who will never know for sure what happened to his sweet Tammy. But some would argue maybe he's the only person who actually does know, now that he is finally reunited with his Tammy. It just sounds... It's just so open-ended. Like, there's... Yeah. Oh, sure is. There's only, like, one solid story that has basically been ruled out. So, it's just kind of... I mean, it's heartbreaking that there's... You know, from, from what I'm hearing... From you, there's was really only one solid lead, mm-hmm. and it kind of didn't pan out. Yeah. Yeah, and they're still chasing down suspects. They still are, you know, have all these people, you know, like I said, they still have five suspects that they've already named who they're still looking after. So I guess there's like a possibility that, you know, that maybe after all this time, you know, that we still kind of figure it out. But, you know, I keep going back to the very beginning of this investigation, right, where, you know, there were all these different people, all these different agencies, you know, you know, who were who was in charge, who wasn't, you know, who was responsible, who was going to pay for it, all this stuff. I mean, that has to have, that had to have been going on behind the scenes at this point right because it's it's you know uh, illinois state police versus you know st or uh, lawrence county sheriff's office in a completely different jurisdiction you know the missouri state police versus you know it has that had to have been a part of you know this initial kind of complication as to you know you know why there were so many issues right off the bat um so I mean that I mean this power struggle, and I see it all the time, right? I see it in, in in um you know investigations all the time. Sometimes they come together, you know. Most of, I say most of the time they come together and say, you know, hey, we're like you know at the end of the day, you know, we need to figure out who did this, you know, 
for whatever reason, we're going to make you in charge. You're going to handle this. You know, we're, we'll assist you in any way we can. But in this case, it didn't really seem to be that way. It seemed like pretty much right off the bat, there was this kind of, you know, um, you know, this kind of power struggle of, okay, who's going to, you know, be in charge of the missing girl? Who's going to be in charge of the dead girl? And, you know, who's going to pay for, for X, Y, and Z? And like, when we decided that we weren't going to be the ones to do it, you know, we just kind of, you know, let, let the trucker, you know, take care of her. And so that, that is frustrating right off the bat. I mean, obviously, because, you know, 30 years later, we still don't know who who did this. And, you know, I just, I have to say because, you know, and it drives me nuts, like, because th- there's so much here, right? Like, there's so mm-hmm. much, there's so many tips. We have, you know, all this DNA that they're talking about that we don't really know what the DNA is, but, like, they are talking about, you know, 200 pieces of DNA that, they're, that they have that they're retesting. Um, you know, so I, I kind of just went through as we were talking about this, you know, I kind of went through and just, you know, laid out the 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 evidence that we have right now. Right. So we have these truck sightings. We have people who who said that it was this truck with the orange stripe. Um, we had people who said a whole bunch of other stuff, including, you know, this woman's tip about the blue green truck. But, you know, may or may not be accurate because they even to their own admission said there were multiple different cars broken down the highway that day. So what if we're chasing down this truck that doesn't actually exist or doesn't have actually anything to do with it? And so that's kind of where my brain goes on that front. You know, um, we have, again, this witness who identified Lonnie that seemed to be the only, like, concrete, like, thing that matched up, you know, every single p- everything, single thing that we knew about the person who probably did this. And the police are going to say, nope, not credible, not a credible witness. Okay, sure. So now, we, th- now we're talking about DNA that, again, we don't even know where it came from. We don't know what kind of d- DNA it is. And we still have not been able to get a match or anything. And it's so it's like, okay, like, what do we have? It really doesn't feel like we have anything. It feels, seems like we have a lot, but we don't have anything that actually point gets us any closer to, to the person who 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 killed Tammy. Yeah, it it feel it really feels like we have nothing but that that there should be something like mm-hmm. the, it feels like because of all the things that you've laid out and everything that the investigators have laid out, like there should be something more. Right. And, you know, like I want to go back to the guy carrying her Ugh. body. And like I once again, I know you said that he was ruled out. I I fully believe that he's not you know, didn't do anything malicious, but it's just weird. That's just, it almost seems like... It's a weird move. Like, was there, you know, police involvement? I mean, yeah. I'm not, like, I'm not trying mm. to say anything bad, but it's just so... It's possible. Yeah. It's just so, like... Yeah. Well, and you say police involvement. I mean, um, you know, I'm happy to, to go there, frankly. I'm, I'm not accusing anybody by, by any means by saying this, but, you know, it seems like every time that we do a story where it's like we have this botched investigation um, from the beginning, usually there's, you know, one of their friends are involved, you know? I mean, and again, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the case here. I don't necessarily even, you know, I don't think that they were involved long enough to be to have anything to do with this whole situation. Um, You know, that's just from, from when I read about it. But, I mean... You, but you you have a good point. I mean, you bring up a very, very, very good point that, you know, it seems like we should have more. It seems like, you know, like, you know, like, like, why, why don't we, why don't we have, you know, this extensive list of, of evidence? And I should also say too, you know, when we're talking about the, um, the, the DNA, 
you know, um, uh, one thing that, you know, a lot of people don't really know about how DNA works, especially with modern DNA testing, um, you know, all this, pe- all these pieces of DNA that they, you know, have matched up against whatever, you know, you know, this against this, whatever. Um, but now we have all this new and advanced technology, like literally within the five years, we made like exponential le- leaps and bounds in terms of technology. Um, and so, you know, um, but what a lot of people don't, truly don't understand about the way the technology works right now is like so you have this piece of dna and in certain tests and like the most credible tests and the tests that actually like you know produce a lot of results specifically ones that you know put it into the coda system like once you um like uh you know use that piece of dna that piece of dna is gone like it seems kind of bizarre it's like how is that just gone but it's it's like you can't use it again i guess however they test it and so that is infuriating in and of itself right Mm -hmm. i mean that i mean obviously they can't really help it i mean that's the way it works that's the way it works but it's like it's 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 like a gamble it's like okay so if you if you use this test to try to figure out what the heck happened like, what if you're wrong? What if you're just totally off base on this? Yeah. Or what if, you know, a mistake happened and it went to waste? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Imagine. I understand there are a lot, a lot, a lot of unsolved cases. Yeah. Um, But. This one's 30 years old. Yeah. And it just seems like this one was too, almost too public to be mm. unsolved because it was like so. It was on a major highway and yeah. 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 And like, again, like I go back to the fact that, you know, like how many connections Tammy had, like, you know, like media, like I, when I was doing the research for this case, I, you know, was reading media sources in South Carolina. I was reading media sources out of Philadelphia. I was reading media sources out of Pittsburgh, which is what kind of where, um, which is kind of where she grew up. Um, You know, I was reading media sources out of Missouri. I was reading media sources out of Chicago. I was reading media sources out of Des Moines, kind of near Grinnell. And so it's like, like oh my like yeah like this i mean this like uh, has like obvious implications and also too like you know a crime was committed over state lines like that automatically triggers the fbi and Mm -hmm. so like that is you know obviously that elevates it so much more so it's like yeah it's man it just seems like it seems like what the attention like it should have been like we should have something mm-hmm. we should have something by now i don't have nothing we have literally we are we might as well be back in 1993 as far again as far as you know from what's publicly available you know as you know if someone's involved in the case and is listening to this right now like reach out to us and tell us that that we're wrong please mm-hmm. i would love to to be wrong on this but that's what it seems like to me so yeah there's some implications there even more than 30 years after tammy's death i am like so confident that there is still hope out there to close this case and let Tammy rest in peace. If you know anything about Tammy's death, call the Illinois State Police at 815-726-6377. We're also going to put that number on our website and in our show notes. The FBI is involved is offering a $50,000 reward, even 30 years later, for information that finally leads to an arrest and finally puts this case to bed. I really think that anybody who has, you know, any family who's going through something like this, anyone who is sitting there wondering why this happened to their child, their mm. spouse, their um, sibling, their cousin, like, no one deserves this. And no. so I just wish, I wish there could be no unsolved cases. I wish there could be no murders, but <laughs> I mean... Mm. I just, I really hope that, you know, with the way technology is advancing, that there can be justice for, for everyone someday. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Well, on that note, Lauren, on that great note, um, that is all that we have for you this week. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on Crime Over Wine this week. It was great to see your face. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I was I was really looking forward to this. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for doing it. And tell everyone where they can find you and your work online if you'd like. Um, okay, so uh, my Instagram is Lauren dash nicole 726 and i basically i work for my dad he owns a tv station here in town and i do sales and marketing for him and he does some really cool stuff the rocky mountain channel like we talked about in episode one yes the rocky mountain channel so if you would love to check him out that'd be great um and if you'd like to check me out i mostly just annoy people with my daily activities and <laughs> and the fun that i'm having so yeah zero percent annoying but you know go <laughs> well thank you again for coming on and thank you all so much for listening we are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too and if you are enjoying this podcast and are just wondering how you can tell anyone and everyone about it the best way to help people find this podcast is by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening right now and by the way like i said this is the very first story recommended to me by one of you so if you have a case that you want us to cover go to our website right now crimeofwine.com and click the contact tab and tell us all about it Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we will see you next week for another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.